Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to speak with Carrie Ann Farrow. She is a serial entrepreneur, so she's done this more than once. She's a four-time founder. She's a best-selling author, an executive coach, and a confidence creator. Welcome to the show, Carrie Ann. Hi, Flavia. Thank you so much. So good to have you on. I know, you know, when I hear serial entrepreneur, you know, everyone starts to think of like that guy, who is it? He started like Virgin Airlines and, you know, all these, oh, yeah. brands <laughs> and all these people, I guess some people even think of like Elon Musk and all of them. And you're like following in these footsteps where you have this like history of starting more than one venture, doing really great at it. So tell us how you ended up where you are now and what that journey's been like. Sure. It's it's kind of funny. When I think back to when I was in first grade, I convinced my mom to buy me a bag of blow pops and I resold them to the to my classmates. So maybe technically that was my first business. I'm not sure. But I've had that entrepreneurial bug uh, pretty much my entire life. So I think that but started really young, just knowing that it was possible, uh, seeing that there was a market and that I could make money doing it. My father was self-employed. He was a truck driver. So I watched my parents. And I wouldn't say he was, it was, wasn't necessarily a company because he, again, he was a solopreneur, but it was, you know, I got to see what that was like. And it wasn't always easy. You know, there's a lot of highs and lows, but there was something about it that I really liked. And that what I really liked about it, I guess, the most was the amount of control that he could have, that he could choose the jobs that he wanted to take. And if there was something really important with the kids that he could be available for that, it, and in no way was this this ideal childhood that I'm, I'm trying to paint, that wasn't it. I'm speaking specifically to the solopreneur aspect of it. But I really, when I think back, that's how it started, knowing that that was possible. And then if we really fast forward to today, being an executive coach, What got me here is, as you mentioned, being this serial entrepreneur, having done it multiple times, and then leaning into my community and talking to others who are following this path and really just having a passion for helping others do this work too. So that's really what got me here to executive coaching. I work with a lot of CEOs. And we're talking everywhere from beginning startups to thousands of employees. And the journey in so many ways has so many similarities. So being a part of their journeys and helping them build their businesses is super rewarding for me. And it's just really something I, that I love to do. So walk us through what an executive coach is and sort of does to work with their clients and help them. Sure. So an executive coach, uh, it's funny, some people will call us office therapists, which, you know, there are certainly moments and my my background, my undergrad is in psychology and my master's in, is in HR. So I have some experience when it comes to behavioral science and then also organizational development. But really what I do as an executive coach 
is I create a confidential safe space for leaders and those who are building organizations, building themselves. And if they hire employees, building their employees. And I give them the space to really be authentic and raw and formulate their personal goals. How do they want to develop as a leader? How do they want to transform? And then how do they want to transform their businesses and their their people? I also get involved often with strategic planning and helping to facilitate growth strategies with those I'm working with. And it's a lot of fun. As you can imagine, it it can be really different and varied depending upon the size of the business, whether I'm working with a solopreneur or someone who has you know a, a really growing organization. So I'm curious, how does it work with confidentiality? Because I imagine that, I'll, especially if it's one-on-one work, people, mm-hmm. you're so, your personality, everything, like I'm sure people just want to open up and talk to you and tell you deepest, darkest secrets about their work life and what's going on. But if you're not there in the role as a therapist or as someone where there was kind of that patient doctor confidentiality, mm-hmm. how does it work when you come into a company like that? Like, let's say a CEO was to tell you something that could be very harmful to the company. Mm-hmm. What's your obligation to? Are, is your client the company or is it the individual? My client is the individual. So that's a really interesting question. I like the way you frame that. So when it comes to coaching, I am, because I'm certified through the International Coaching Federation, I am held to their ethical standards. And my agreement is with that client. So I do have to let the corporate sponsor know in situations where I'm working with a larger organization that the only thing that I will share is attendance. And my clients know that as well. So like I said, if you want to create a really safe space, and let's face it, leadership is lonely. So it is incredible for some of these CEOs and leaders to have someone that they can really be authentic with and honest with and have a place where we do some role play or kind of go through like the emotions that they're experiencing or they have got or they've got this really difficult conversation they need to have or maybe they're struggling with an ethical decision but this isn't something that they feel comfortable yet at this point speaking with their own leadership or with their team knowing that this is a confidential space they can really work through those rumbles, those internal, that, that internal dialogue and, and get to the answers they need. So specifically to your question, if, if someone shares with me something that could hurt the company, that is, that's confidential. That, that's not something that I'm going to take to the corporate sponsor. Now, I may encourage my client asking them some questions about, is there value in sharing this information? What's the cost, et cetera. But what's really important is that I'm not leading them down a path. And, you know, as an executive coach, I 100% believe that my clients already have the answers inside of them. My job is to help them find it, not to tell them what to do. So that's how I navigate that situation. Now, if I have a client that, and this rarely happens uh, because coaching is present to future and, and in a coaching relationship, I coach healthy people. This isn't someone that has any sort of, symptoms that would require a therapist. And if and if that were to come up, I would refer them out to a therapist. But if, you know, when situations arise where I think that it's not within the realms of coaching, then I would, like I said, refer them out. But I think I think that's the key to it when it comes to ethical principles, realizing that it is sacred, it is a confidential space. And I will encourage my clients to properly think through 
the actions they need to take, but I do not tell them what to do, nor do I break that confidentiality. Interesting. So interesting to kind of dive into this world. We have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who wish to become coaches, not necessarily executive coaches. There's people who want to be health coaches, anything from nutrition to fitness. There's people who want to coach others on how to write a book. I mean, there's so many different people who tell me, oh, you know, I hate my nine to five job. It's not my passion. I I don't enjoy it. I wish I could do coaching in XYZ. But getting started from being an employee somewhere to going out on your own and becoming a coach, it's pretty difficult. What advice mm-hmm. would you give someone who wants to make that their main source of income and how they make a living by coaching others? What are some of the first steps? My first step was finding an organization that where my core values aligned with theirs, that was a certifying body. And I think that's really important. And I know there are plenty of coaches out there that have the title of coach and are are making a living as coaches and they're not certified. But for me, that was really important. And I do recommend that other people consider that path for a couple of reasons. Number one, coaching, like I said, there's so many of us out there. But if if you follow along the path of the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, there are standards and guidelines that I think elevate the elevate the field and the industry. So I think the first step is to find an organization that can train you in coaching that will give you some structure to this to this new field that you're going into. Now, whether you're going to be a health coach, a life coach, et cetera, you know, you can kind of gear yourself toward the organizations that focus in those areas, but you don't necessarily have to either. The organization that I am certified through, which is Coactive, I would say is a bit agnostic. So it's People that get certified through that particular organization or that get their training through there end up doing life coaching, executive coaching. And, you know, it, it runs the gamut. And I'm not saying that's the only one out there. There are plenty of really great programs, but find one that is credentialed by the International Coaching Federation and start there because you're going to learn a lot. The other thing, the other value I would say to making that investment, and it is a significant investment, both of money and time. But the other value to that is the network that you're going to develop of other coaches. And that is really powerful because there is power in peers. There is power in like-minded individuals who are ambitious about this work. And then you can lean into each other. I cannot tell you how valuable those relationships were for me. And I still refer out to other coaches that were in my training cohorts. So I think that that's really an amazing first step. And then Second, I would say realize it doesn't happen overnight. You really have to, just like any other field, you have to build your audience and let people know what you're doing. And I'm asked a lot, well, how do you do that? You know, especially if I don't have a huge network. Well, lean into those that do. So when I made the shift to coaching and wanted to move into it full time, I mean, I told everybody what I was doing. And I told my accountant, I told my attorney, these are people that know lots of other people and they have been such amazing referral sources for me. So it really is not being afraid to get out there and network and tell people what you're doing, why you love what you're doing. And then don't forget about that call to action, that CTA. You know, if you're going to tell your accountant what you're doing, make sure you finish it up with. And if you know someone that could use my services, if you know someone that is in need of leadership development, or if you know some entrepreneurs that are feeling lonely and could use some thought partnership and, and a confidential space, hey, remember my name, refer me out. I think that ask, particularly for women, 
can be really difficult, but you you have to do it. You know, it, it's if you want it bad enough, you you have to go out there and ask for it. So I think that's a big part of it too. So getting the the proper training, developing a network of peers through that training, and then number two, on the other side of things, not necessarily the peers with the customers, develop that network as well and ask for it. Ask for the referrals and really tap into the the people that have, if you don't feel that you have the network, tap into those around you that do and ask them to invite you into their fold. And and typically they will. That is such great advice because I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from, especially at the beginning, sort of a confidence crisis where, you know, they end up becoming the best kept secret because they're afraid Mm -hmm. Know, of how they'll look or sound, especially if they're doing something new, like someone whose whole identity has been, I don't know, whatever it is, like uh, in sales at a certain company. And that, that's their identity. Everyone knows them as like, oh, yeah, you work at so, such and such. It's hard sometimes to plant your flag and to tell people, here's what I'm doing. And it's new. And it's me, mm-hmm. and it's my business, my company. And so I think there's kind of this weird shyness around new entrepreneurship. But I know you you do a lot of coaching on confidence. So give us some tips on that. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to confidence, I think the most important thing to remember is no one actually knows what they're doing. I mean, it's it's so fascinating. And as an executive coach, having talked to so many leaders who many of which I'm like, wow, like she's done this. Like she has a thousand employees or she, and it's mind blowing. And I will tell you what's so amazing is they all of us, they all, we all have the same fears. It, it will just blow your mind how many times I've talked to someone who is a public speaker and they still get the butterflies. They still get the jitters. They're still terrified to get up on that stage, but they do it anyway. So when it comes to developing confidence, talk to other people who are doing the things that you want to do and ask them, like, how did you get over the fear? A lot of them will say to you, well, I, I didn't but I do it anyway. I still get the jitters. I still, I'm still afraid. So talk to others, share, let, you know, ask them to share their stories and then start to share your own. That is a huge confidence booster. The other thing that I'll do with some of my clients, one of my favorite stories, actually, I had this client who was like, I don't know how to network. It's really hard for me to get out there and do it. So I took him to, and I'm here in the DC area in Washington, DC. So I took him to a place that's known for business networking and we worked on his pitch and I just started introducing him to people. And it was rough in the beginning, but within just a couple of weeks, we did this over and over again. He was amazing. And, And now he's got it down, but he practiced. So when it comes to confidence, you've got to practice. You've got to get out there and do the hard thing. Talk to people, tell them what you're interested in doing. I do some videos on LinkedIn, all these things that are so fearful, the more that you do them, the easier they become. And it's, it's your confidence muscle. If you don't practice, if you don't do the repetitions, it's not going to get stronger. So getting out there and doing it is so important. And it's great that you advise practicing and sort of building that confidence muscle, because a lot of people erroneously think that confidence is a quality someone has, like that person doesn't feel confident and, and that it's almost like height or, you know, something that's just a part of you that you can't. And, but it's not, I mean, it really is practice makes perfect. Like, um, I've heard a lot of people who are great public speakers and you watch them on stage and they seem like 
they came out of the womb giving speeches. You know, they're just so good, so charismatic, so organized, so the showmanship, the whole thing. And sometimes if you get them in conversation, they're like, oh yeah, I used to be super shy, terrible public speaker, and, you know, would have rather done anything but go up on a stage, but they got over it and they practiced and, you know, they found it and they became really good at it. Yeah. I I also think a big part of that too, is realizing that it's not the end of the world. Like, even if you don't do an amazing job, no one gets just one shot, right? So like, maybe you're thinking that like, oh my gosh, I've got to get up there and it's an audition and I don't get that role. That's okay. Look for the next role. Because here's the thing, like if you don't get out there and try, nothing's going to happen. You know, you, you've got to be in motion. Things that are in motion stay in motion. So keep going, keep trying, look for the next opportunity. And it's okay if you have a few missed shots here and there, but don't stop, go for the next one. Great advice. You have a history of careers that people think are very demanding, right? You've been a founder, you've worked in, I'm sure jobs where it was very taxing on your time. How do those jobs compare with sort of your work-life balance and how you are now as a coach? Are you able to plan out your own schedule? Is it, are you able to maintain a lot of free time in your calendar? Or do you find yourself being, you know, just as busy now as before? It's like anything else, there are seasons. I wrote uh, my book, The Queen's Decree. In that book, I talk about my story about how with my first company, I was, I started around 26 and I sold it when I was 32. And I built it to eight and a half million. And at the time, while I was while I was building that company, I also had three kids. And it was absolutely insane. I mean, the amount of hours I worked, it was unhealthy. I mean, it got so bad that I was getting migraines two to three times a week. I mean, so bad that on my way home from work, I'd have to pull over on the side of the road and get sick. I mean, they were horrible. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And at one point when I had to pull over and get got sick, it was sort of this moment. I'm like, I can't, can't keep doing this to myself. The money isn't worth it. And honestly, if we had divided the number of hours I was working by what I was bringing home, I, I, it wasn't worth it. You know, I was, I was complete. Was, at that point, I was probably making less than a wage. I, I just worked nonstop. And there came a time in my life when I realized that was just not what I wanted anymore. And I sold that it was the first business that I, and I sold it. And I have not forgotten any of those lessons. I will never go back there again. And that was a season of life that when I think about it was really powerful because, you know, I grew up in a home where I was told women were second-class citizens. You'll never amount to anything, a very patriarchal home, a very, an alcoholic father, you know, just imagine all of this, right? Stay-at-home mom um, who also believed that I should be a a mom with a baby on my hip and the whole deal. Never imagined I'd go to college. So I was really, what I did with that first company was I was so busy trying to prove them wrong that I forgot what I really wanted and I didn't pay attention to what was so important to me. So I was just killing myself working those hours. And when I finally came to that place, I realized I don't want this anymore. That's when I took the time to ask myself, well, what do I want? You know, what's most important to me? And that's what started what I call my V3 model, like doing a very deep dive into my values. And then from there, going on to the next step, which is the vision piece of the V3 model. And what's my vision for my life outside of proving my father wrong, proving to the world that, you know, I'm superwoman, 
trying to keep up with the expectations of the world and really dug into that to figure out, okay, what's most important to me? What's my vision for my life? And then speaking to what you're talking about, the velocity piece, and what do I want my pace to be? And I knew that I did not want it to be these 80 hour weeks anymore. It was just killing me. And, you know, at 32 years old, when I sold that first company, you know, I look back on photos of myself from those years and I'm like, holy wow, I looked older then sometimes than I do now. I was so exhausted. Um, so no, I'll never go back. Um, so I took, I took that personal story and those lessons and I created the V3 model, which is values, vision, velocity. I use that when I work with my clients and I also use it with myself. When I can feel myself running a little ragged or taking on too much or letting my ambition get the best of me, I will always go back to my core values and center. And that's the work that I do as an executive coach. And that's what really keeps me grounded. So where I am now, not working 40 hours a week, there are certainly still days, weeks, seasons, I'll call them, where I put in a little more time than my 30 hours because I'm going after a new client or I've got a big proposal I want to write. But the difference is now it's work that I love. So it it doesn't feel heavy. It doesn't feel overwhelming. And the second it does, I go back to those, those core values and I ask myself, what am I honoring? What am I not honoring? And then I, I redesign. I basically look at what I'm doing and ask what I can drop, what needs to change and how do I live my life in a way that honors what's most important to me. You've given such great advice on this episode. I am just curious, what are some final thoughts and words? How do people connect with you? If they want to learn more about your coaching and your programs and your book, tell us those two things. You know, what, what are some final thoughts you have to share with listeners? Because we, you know, we lifestyle solopreneurs either already own businesses and are probably having some of the same problems as a lot of your clients when they come to you, right? A lot of these executives, because mm-hmm. entrepreneurs tend to be the CEO and CFO and sure. CFO and sales department and director and the whole thing. And also how do people reach out to connect with you? Sure. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. So you can find me Carrie Ann Barrow on LinkedIn, or you can go to my scaling strategies. Scaling strategies is my coaching firm. And that website is www.v3 numeric. So the, and then the number three model.com. And my book, The Queen's Decree, is on Amazon. Amazing. And then for anyone that is thinking, maybe I need this kind of coaching, or maybe maybe not necessarily your coaching, and maybe they don't think of themselves as an executive, but someone who just needs support, needs help. What are some ways that someone can reach out and find a mentor, a coach, some good help out there? Oh, there are so many resources. I mean, I'm Certainly, if you reach out to me, if I'm not the right resource, I've got an entire network and referral source of uh, coaches that I can send you off to. And then I would look at to the International Coaching Federation. If you go to their website, you can also find coaches that way. Yeah. So I think those are... So reach out to me if you would like a referral. Happy to do that. And look for those coaches through ICF. Ariana, it's been so good to have you on the show. As always, you are just such a breath of fresh air in the what you bring to the table, especially because I love that the work you do in the world is helping people become healthier, you know, happier in their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the long run is better for their companies. 
but more importantly for their families, for themselves, for the legacy of what they're creating. So thank you for all that you do in the world. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and if you leave a review on iTunes, I promise I will read every single review. If you know someone who makes a full-time living from part-time work, and maybe this is you, please visit lifestylesolopreneur.com to nominate a guest or to nominate yourself. Because remember this, money doesn't buy happiness, but money in the hands of a happy person, there is no greater tool. Today's episode was brought to you by the Get Shift Done program. It's a lifestyle changing online class to help you define your business and lifestyle ambitions and to set goals in a way you've never experienced before. This class will 10X your daily productivity with methods that will blow your mind. And if you use a coupon code podcast, the class tuition is 99% off. Visit getshiftdone.com to enroll today.